0: Thanks, Will. Um, Will stole your tape, Tim. (laughs) Yeah, he told me. (laughs) So, all right. Good morning. morning. I long for a day when this, um, when I can see faces again. Oh, let me pray. Lord, thank you for this day that you've given Thank you for your word, um, and I want to pray that this uh, time would be um, a time where we fall more in love with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. My name is Andy Fetzer. I uh, am the area director of Young Life here in Roanoke, and I, um, it's a privilege to be able to come up here every now and then and share with you. I... Um, our camping season is kind of, uh, you know, messed up a little bit right now, so we didn't get to go to a regular camp or do the assignments. So I don't have any videos for you, which I normally do when I when I uh, preach. The passage that we're going to be looking at, examining this morning, is probably one that uh, a lot of you are familiar with, and it's probably one that some of you have never heard before. And um, But my hope and my prayer is that even though this passage might raise more questions than answers, that we will have um, a better understanding of who Jesus is, and that we will indeed fall more in love with him. There is no other name with which we must be saved than Jesus' name. So let's dive in. I know that you guys don't have the Pew Bibles, and, um, but this is worth reading on your own when you get home today. The section that uh, Will read is a, a smaller section inside of a a larger account. Prior to Jesus arriving on the scene in verse 17, Jesus was sent word that his dear friend Lazarus was sick. We learn in those verses prior to Jesus arriving on the scene that Lazarus is the brother of the famous Mary and Martha. And uh, there's a connection that Jesus has with his family. So much so that when the messengers come and find Jesus, they say, Lord, the one you love is sick. That's not surprising, given that the, the, the author of the gospel, John, referred to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. And I don't think that Jesus loved Lazarus or John any more than he loved other people. I think the difference was that Lazarus and John really knew how much Jesus loved them. And if we get nothing else out of this time, I think that's enough. That we would really know and really believe the truth that Jesus really loves you. And we see this demonstrated in Lazarus' life by the end of this account. And shortly after that, we see it demonstrated for all the world. But we'll get to that in short order. Last week, a week ago, exactly, exactly, I was at a Young Life camp. Uh, it was an adventure discipleship camp with uh, some really good friends of mine, some high school buddies of mine. And um, one of my friends, one of my high school friends had a medical emergency and um, it was really scary. I mean, it was probably one of the, the top scariest times of my life and um, it was gonna involve a hospital trip and some other things and it was a freak thing Uh, Nothing that we really could have done to prevent it. And um, I called this boy's dad, who I know and I have a good relationship with. And as the phone is ringing, I'm thinking, how am I going to communicate the seriousness of this without creating undue panic? And I I honestly don't don't even know why I was calling in terms of like what he could do. He was three hours away. Before I finished telling him uh, the details, he's like, I'm on my way. I'm on my way. I didn't have to convince him to come up. I didn't have to be like, hey, you should probably come up. He's like, I'm on my way. No hesitation. That's what we expect from a loving father. That's what we expect. But oddly enough, in this account, Jesus doesn't do that. He waits where he is two more days. And I think for a lot of folks, that frustrates us a little bit. When he gets to Bethany, the town of Bethany, Lazarus has already died and he's been dead for four days. So, assuming the time frame of it is the messengers are sent to tell Jesus that Lazarus is sick, um, it took a day to get there. And while they were going, Lazarus died. Jesus stays there two more days and then he travels a day to get there. Lazarus has been dead four days. Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, heard that Jesus was coming. Martha runs out to Jesus, and Mary stays behind. And I think if you know anything about Mary and Martha, Martha always gets a bad rap, and Mary gets, you know, she's the, she's the one. And, but Martha runs out. She's like, ah. She runs out and she says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. I think all of us have said that in our lives. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Lord, if you'd been here, my dad wouldn't have had a heart attack. Lord, if you'd been here, my parents would still be together. Lord, if you'd been here, I wouldn't be bullied at school. Lord, if you'd been here, I would have made the team. If you'd been here, I would have gone to, and just fill in the blank. We wouldn't have COVID. Like, fill in the blank. And I think we say that, and it's more of an indictment, not on Jesus's inaction to our problems, but... An indictment that we need him and want him and desire him so. In The Hobbit or Lion, the Witch, and the Wardress, Gandalf says, I, what, I don't know what it was. Is it, he's the Hobbit. Yeah, right. He says, um, is it, Yeah, he's in The Hobbit. He says, um, What's I think, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardress? That'd be funny if he showed up there. He says, A wizard is never late nor is he early. He shows up precisely when he means to. Well, Jesus, he shows up precisely when the Father wills him to. Right on time. And like a a good play or a movie, the hero shows up almost a little too late for our comfort, but it's always right on time, and Jesus shows up. And that's what happens here as well. It's been four days. I, I didn't use my notes. I went too far. Jesus' delaying coming to Bethany was not an accident. And neither is his timing in how he deals with us and our sorrow. And then Jesus has a conversation with Martha. Martha says, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 22 says, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. What a What a sweet promise. And Martha said, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, This is what we're talking about the I am statements, that that only God could be these things. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you? believe this Do you believe this It's not just a question for Martha It's a question for us as well She said yes Lord I believe that you're the Christ the Son of God who is to come into the world Martha went to get Mary and Mary goes out to see Jesus where Martha met Jesus And she says this profound, unique statement to Jesus. She says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Says the exact same thing that Martha said. You're going to be thinking like, could you not have come out with your sister? I just talked about this. But Jesus meets us uniquely and individually in our sorrow and our grief and our mourning for Martha needed a theological discussion. She needed some truth. She needed to talk it out. Mary just needed someone to cry with. When Jesus saw her weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. He said, where have you laid him? I said, come and see Lord. And then verse 35, the famous verse says that Jesus wept. At this moment, does Jesus know that he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead? I think he does. He has a discussion with his disciples before he arrives on the scene in verse 17. And he says that this sickness will not end in death. It won't terminate in death. It might pass through death, but it's not going to end there. I really do think that Jesus at this point knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. I I can't prove it, but I think he knew he was going to do it. He had also raised other people from the dead. I'm thinking that he's like, we're going to raise Lazarus from the dead. But he still weeps, so why does he weep? If he knows the outcome, if he knows what's gonna happen, why does he start crying? Why is he weeping? It's not even just a, a it's not even just like a little like little watery eyes. He's weeping. I think he's weeping, not because not because he doesn't think that Lazarus is gonna raise from the dead or that the ending is gonna be awesome. I think, I don't think this is a stretch, but I think he sees sin and he sees the effect of sin in our life and it breaks his heart. Because this isn't the way it was supposed to be. Lazarus wasn't supposed to die. And I think the Lord has moved and he sees this in us and he's moved to it. He's like, gosh, this is not the way it's supposed to be. And it breaks my heart. So Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Does that sound familiar? He said, Take away this stone. Even in Jesus performing this miracle, his followers get to play a part. And he's saying, Hey, I need you to move that stone back. For the miracle to happen, you guys gotta participate in this. Martha says, uh, By this time, Lord. There's a bad odor for he's been there for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? The gospel writer, John, his purpose of writing the gospel, his, one of his main purposes of writing the gospel is found in John chapter 20, verse 31. Where he says that I write these things, John's writing it, I write these things so that you believe in the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing those things, you'll have life in his name. That the whole purpose of the Gospel of John is to show the glory of the Father through the glory of the Son, and the Son displays the glory of the Father perfectly. And this is a great and wonderful example. This actually is the last miracle before the Passion, and this is the the miracle that broke the, the straw of the Pharisees' backs, put into motion what was gonna happen at the Passion. And Jesus said, you, if Lazarus didn't die, you wouldn't see the glory of God the way you're going to see it. So they rolled the stone away, and then Jesus prayed a little prayer. And he says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on behalf of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And then he said in a loud voice, <clears throat> Lazarus, come out. the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. When Jesus prayed this prayer, did Mary and Martha know at this moment that their brother was gonna be raised? I don't know if they did. They might have assumed that this was just a graveside prayer, like a, a sending off of like, hey, that's, we're gonna pray. And when they sent word to Jesus, They didn't say, come quickly heal our brother. They just said, just tell Jesus that our brother is sick. It's a prayer, really. They're not dictating to Jesus or the Father what they want. They just say, this is where we find ourselves. And we trust that you will do what you will to do. Oftentimes, I want to dictate to the Lord how I want him to solve my problems. Maybe it's just enough to just tell him. And then trust him to deal with those things, especially in this time that we find ourselves in. And I, I know that a lot of prayers are going up and we want a fix. But maybe it's enough to just go to the Lord and say, this is what it is. This is how I'm feeling. Do what you will. When Lazarus is called out of the tomb, and here's the craziest part. I don't know. This is one of those things where for People that don't believe that Jesus is who he says he is, it's, it, you can't wrap your mind around this. It, this doesn't happen. Dead people don't come alive. But we have to consider the, the power of the voice that speaks Lazarus' name. It's the same power that spoke your name, called you out of your deadness, called me out of my, my deadness. It's the only voice that can raise the dead. That's why he's the resurrection and the life. And at the very end, he says, take off the grave clothes. It's one of those verses where you'll skip over it. You'll be like, oh, yeah, take off the grave clothes. And you just go, keep on going to the next thing. I think Will even talked about this, where John writes these significant things in Scripture and we miss it most of the time. He says, take off the grave clothes. How many of us, are redeemed, have become new creations in Christ, have surrendered our our lives to Jesus, still walk around in our grave clothes. We still walk around with with those clothes of fear and anxiety. Some days I choose to put those clothes back on. It's the craziest thing. You know, the clothes that reek of unforgiveness and selfishness, those clothes, how many of us? I I think we're still redeemed, and that can't change. That's what I believe. But for some reason, we're walking around in these dead man's clothes. We're not acting free. I used to tell this story. Uh, It's an analogy to high school kids. So it might not land and Quig might get some calls. They, come, they go to Quig, right? I'm going to, should I tell it? All right, I'll tell it. I'll tell it. Just don't call Quig. Call me. I used to have this dog. I love this dog. I mean, he was the best. I mean, he was, we would, I would put a leash on him and we would walk around the neighborhood every day. I love this dog. But one day this dog died. Ah, oh, It was the worst. I mean, you've been there. It stinks. I didn't want the tradition to die. So I put the leash on the dog and uh, I took him for a walk. My neighbors thought I was weird. It was more of like a drag than a walk because I was dragging my dog around the neighborhood, but I, I just wanted to keep, uh oh, that feeling of just kind of walking with my dog. And he wasn't really walking, you know what I'm saying. Like. And uh, my neighbor, he was like, Fats. He was concerned for me. He said, Fats, what are you doing? I'm walking my dog. Your dog is dead. I know. You're scaring my children. (laughs) That's messed up. You know what else is messed up? When we keep holding on to the things that the Lord has freed us from. He's like, stop walking the dead dog. Stop walking the dead dog. Take the grave clothes off. Live into the truth of who the Lord has set us free to be. Jesus proves a short while longer, right after this, maybe a week, week and a half, after this miracle, the full extent of his love for us with his own death and resurrection. Like I said, this was the last straw for the Pharisees, the religious leaders. After this miracle, the events of Jesus' crucifixion were put into motion. And Jesus, in essence, takes Lazarus' place in the tomb. It's crazy to think about. He calls Lazarus out of this tomb and a week later he goes into the tomb. He substitutes his life for Lazarus's and ours. He takes our place. It was the only way to save us. It's so beautiful when you start thinking about it like that. It's not just that he, rose, he raised Lazarus from the dead. He actually took Lazarus's place. Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's the best thing. That's the thing that we should wake up every morning going, all right, I'm alive. Let's rock and roll. He takes our place. And Jesus is a resurrection because it's his defeat of death that gives us life. Full life. And he's life because in him was life. And that life was the light of men. And that light of Christ should shine into the dark and decaying places when we move the stone back. That's what we get to do. In the world that we find ourselves in, especially today, we get to be that light because we have the life, because Jesus is the life. If you personally have never considered surrendering your life and your heart to Jesus, today is a great day to do that. I would just suggest one thing, take off the grave clothes. Thank you. Amen.